Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Look out, he's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a seat filler and I love films. As lawyer Michael Cohen once said, I will not be a punching bag as part of anyone's defence strategy, and it is a goddamn disgrace that if Beale Street Could Talk was not nominated for Best Picture. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Ricky Gervais, Catherine Ryan and James Acaster, but this week my special guest is superstar writer and creator Leslie Headland. Right, we've got a lot to get through, so listen up. I've got lots of exciting live shows coming up, some at the BFI, one at the South Bank Festival, one at Marlowe Festival, but the next big live podcast will be taking place on April 7th at the Brighton Podcast Festival, and I suggest you get your tickets, because do you want to know who the guest is? All right, I'll tell you. It's only bloody Asim Chowdhury. Oy, oy. I will also be performing last year's stand-up show, What Is Love, Baby Don't Hurt Me, for one week only at the Soho Theatre from May 6th to May 11th. So do go to the website and get your tickets fast. Follow me on Twitter at Brett Goldstein and on Instagram at Mr. Brett Goldstein to keep up to date with all the live shows and my stand-up gigs. Now, here's another thing you need to know, and this is important. If you enjoy the show and you want to support it and get more content, come and join me over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein where you get extra guest questions, videos, guest list tickets, recommendations, all sorts of things. But listen, I've got a secret. Because I love this episode so very much, I've decided to include all the questions, including the Patreon ones, on this free one so that you get a sense of what you're missing. This week there's a full extra 20 minutes with Leslie, and two of her answers are the most profound I've ever heard on this show, and I didn't want you to miss them, so I'm going to let you hear what you're missing if you're not yet a member. And do remember, best of all, if you become a Patreon member, not only do you get all this extra good stuff, you don't have to hear this bit about becoming a freaking Patreon member. You just get the episode completely unencumbered by ads and stuff like this bit. Give it a look over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. So, here we go. Leslie Headland, she's an actor, turned playwright, turned filmmaker, turned co-creator, writer and director of Netflix's Russian Doll. If you haven't seen the show yet, I very much suggest you do. It was your homework and it's properly excellent. I think we spend the first 30 minutes talking about it, so if you haven't watched it all... You might want to skip the first 30 minutes, otherwise you're going to be quite annoyed, I reckon. It will all be spoiled for you. But for fans of the show, I think we did a pretty hardcore and in-depth look into the making of it, and it's fascinating. Leslie is one of the only guests I've ever had 
who I had never met at all before we recorded this. And I think you will hear, it was a total joy. She is effing brilliant and I loved it. I hope you do too. So that is all you need to know for now. And I very much hope you enjoy episode 34 of Films To Be Buried With. Hello and welcome to Films To Be Buried With. My name is Brett Goldstein and I am joined today by an actor, a writer, a producer, a director, a showrunner, a creator and an all-round hero to the people. Please welcome to the show, it's Leslie Headland. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for asking me to do this. Thank you. It's a, it's a, uh, I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. Uh, we were we were brought together by our mutual friend Melissa Stevens, the best. star of this podcast. The best. And um, uh, I've heard so many great things about you, and oh. I wanted to meet you. And before, just for the listeners, if you don't know Leslie and you're an idiot, if you don't, <laughs> the last thing she did was co-create, yes, produce, that's correct, and direct yeah. and write uh, the Netflix show Russian Doll. That's right. Which I watched all of in two days, and it is. Fucking excellent. <laughs> Thank you. And I have so many questions. Oh, I can't wait to answer them. May I ask them? Yes, please do. Okay. So for those, and I'll try not to do like spoilers. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to. But if we, there might be spoilers. We'll tell people like there may be spoilers. Skip ahead Skip 10 ahead. minutes. Yeah. If you yeah. haven't watched it, watch it and then come back to this. Yeah. Right. So firstly, fuck, it looks so good. It looks good, doesn't the it? The aesthetic yeah. is excellent. Yeah. Chris Teague, our cinematographer was a guy that my wife met when he was shooting a film called appropriate behavior by a filmmaker named uh, Desiree um, who's wonderful. And so he shot that film. My wife uh, worked with him then and then Mm -hmm. worked with him in a different, on a different film as well that I can't remember the name of, but she worked with him twice. And she said to me, you know, you really, I think you're really going to jive with this guy. She's like, you know, whenever it is that you, you know, get a chance to work with him, bring him in on something. And so I had been looking for something to do with Chris for a bit. I don't know if he knew that, but I was, (laughs) I was thinking that. And when, um, when Netflix greenlit Russian doll, um, the production company that, uh, line produced the show in New York, Jack's media, who also do broad city and search party and, um, Difficult People. Um, good list. Good list of shows. And uh, they had worked with Chris before. So right. it was actually kind of an easy And did you... Pitch. Uh, it, 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 it sort of... I was thinking this morning, it's like, if I may, how I would pitch the show in the end. It's a sort of uh, spiritual and... Oh, it is, yeah. Uh, existential and uh, actually uh, secretly... Positive show secretly positive, about yeah. kindness secretly, yeah. but it's hidden yeah. under an aesthetic, a fun. It's very fun, mm-hmm. but it's hidden in in a kind of horror movie. Yeah, it, it looks like a horror movie. <laughs> the, even the font, Thank the you. font of the title. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I don't even horror. remember how we came up with that font. I mean, it was done by Teddy Blanks, who's a guy that I'd been wanting to work with for a long time, but again, hadn't gotten the opportunity to yet he was also friends with natasha yeah. uh leon who's the co-creator and the star and, and one of the writers and directors of the show as well and 
but I don't remember where I remember seeing a font like that. Like we kept calling it the Rosemary's Babies. Font. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, it's like Dress like, to Kill. Yeah, or Dress to Kill. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, 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 yeah. Like like it was some sort of De Palma esque. Yeah, it's like, definitely De Palma. You know, like like and so somehow that was the direction that we sent him in, and then he came back with great with that. And it get episode seven. It's proper scary. Oh, thank you. Genuinely okay. frightened me. Thank and, you. And why I finished it, because I thought I can't go to bed because I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. That, and, was uh, my goal. that was my goal, was like, if we can, if we can, <laughs> we, we need to make episode seven this, this, you know, kind of teeing up episode eight. Yeah. You know, like it almost needs to feel like its own ending it's in a way. Horrific. Um, but I'm a huge horror fan and, and a big fan of films like that. And so I've always... I'm considered kind of a, a comedy director or, or had yes. been up until now. And so we had a director that was slated to direct that episode seven. Um, and unfortunately she had a conflict. And so I ended up getting to direct it, which was right. like my dream to direct something that, you know, we always knew was going to be these kind of, you know, again, spoilers, but yeah. you're going to be flashing back in between time. And um, it was going to start getting a little bit scarier and a little bit, it's more of genuinely that genre. scary. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so but it's glad. also it's about therapy, right? The whole show and about. Oh you know. gosh, I mean, I guess it could be. I think that, like, you know, to me, it's a ghost story. Right. That's that's what I think okay. it is. Is that it's like sort of the it's about being haunted, right? You know, so yeah, yeah. so it felt right that episode seven would kind of you know lean into this like kind of more genre y yeah. you know thing. But I do think a lot of people have made comparisons to therapy, to uh twelve step programs, so sense, yeah. um, to EMDR, to yeah. like trauma therapy specifically trauma th- trauma therapy, which get all of these things too get brought up in the show. You yeah. know what I mean? Like and so but I think it can be kind of traced back to the title Russian Doll and that Amy and Natasha, Amy Poehler, who's all who's the third creator of the show, Amy And Natasha and I had always discussed that the show is really about a woman um, and kind of traveling in toward that tiny doll, like the small doll that's inside her still. And, um, you know, that can be literal, like inner child work, um, or it can mean, you know, something along the lines of like the analogy that we use with her being a software engineer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like that yeah. she's like trying to find that, find the glitch. that glitch in her yeah. makeup, you know, and sort of taking a little bit, of, but definitely these were all things that we thought about, about therapy, about taking the stigma away from mental mm-hmm. illness, from um, suicide ideation to like um, um, substance abuse, like just kind of going like, you know, we want to take a look at these things and we want to take a look at them uh, in a, you know, let's take morality out of it. You know, yeah. like, let's make it like a physical problem. Do you know what I mean? Which is that she's repeating kind of the same yeah. experiences or, or she's, I guess it's not repeating, but, you know, the definition of insanity is, re- is you know, repeating the same behavior and expecting different results, right? Yeah. So you stick this character, uh, Nadia, played by Natasha, in a kind of Groundhog Day, Edge of Tomorrow kind of situation mm-hmm. where... Um, she can live for a certain amount of time, but whenever she dies, she gets reset at the same start point. Um, I'm also a big video game person. I play a lot of video games. So, um, to me, that was like the way I approached her loops in the show was that I was like, this is just not unlike my wife one time was like, why are you so obsessed with video games? Like, (laughs) what is the thing? She's like, everything about you kind of doesn't like lean toward that. And I was like, there's something very satisfying about completing a level. Like there's something very satisfying and tangible about that. Whereas like, 
you know, sadly, a lot of the time when you're doing that inner work, whether it's, you know, therapy or 12 step or, um, spiritual, you know, um, existential mining of yourself, yeah. like it doesn't feel as satisfying as like an external kind of, as a, you know, yeah. as a, as a video game would, you know? And so if you could make that a video game, if you could make it a video game experience, like it would be as satisfying to reach the end of that and kind of realize like, oh, you know, I've really done this amazing work on myself or I've, or I've had this existential, like, you yeah. know, thing and I get rewarded in kind of the same way I would uh, if I were kind of dealing with it externally. Do you have a, because um, there's an element of, I think it's very clear, I think it's a very satisfying show at the end. Oh, it's good. very satisfying. Good. But equally, it is open to many interpretations. Many, yes. And, and many you, people have. Are you happy with, as in... Oh, yes. Are you like, no, that's not what Oh, I mean. no, no, no. Oh, I'm so happy. Was it sort of deliberately designed to be... I'm a 100% like a death of the author person. Right, yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. I, I mean, listen, I know for me what it means. And yeah. I think I have, I think if you're going to do something like this, that's like you said, kind of open-ended, like, you better know for yourself yeah. why. But I think that you could talk to... Like Amy, Natasha, um, anybody that's watched the show or a fan of the show. Um, there was a guy who writes for the New York Times who had this whole thread on Twitter about uh, the show being an analogy for the Tompkins Square riots, which is where we shot the show. Oh, wow. And about the gentrification of that area and sort of the loss of New York and, you know, all these. And I was like, yeah. You know, I was like, okay. 100%. <laughs> yeah. It can absolutely be about that. I mean, that is also a ghost story. Like, you know, yeah. like that is also about... All, anyway, all those amazing things. So I'm a person that says I made these decisions for myself because mm-hmm. in making the film I needed to. But ultimately, unless someone took away something from it that was extremely destructive. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. um, Fight Club is a movie that like I could see, you know, kind of everyone kind of, you know, like who worked on it kind of going, I feel like this is a- appealing to the wrong yeah, kind of we- uh ideology like we were sort of making fun of that ideology or we were satirizing that ideology we weren't trying to we didn't mean for you to think this was cool yeah we didn't want you to think that was cool you know so i i think at that point i would probably say something and be like no that's not yeah you know this has been misinterpreted or or you know um uh clockwork orange also a great example you know of like you know this is you know that 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 film is very clearly, you know, um, satirizing and damning violence in a, in, in a particular way, the way mm. that he shoots it and all those kinds of things. However, you know, like, <laughs> that's not how it's always received. Yeah. And so yeah, I don't think you can be so hands off that, like, you're not tuned in to the fact that something that you created that could be an artistic or cultural artifact could be misinterpreted or or used for um, a particular kind of group that is supporting, like, you know... Uh, really dark, fucked up things. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. uh, hopefully that doesn't. I don't think that happens with with Russian Doll, but I, I, but no, I, 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 that would be where I would be like, excuse me, that's wrong. <laughs> that I'm is not, not seeing what people go. It's, it's Nazi propaganda. <laughs> yeah, what? like excuse what? me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. What? But you can see. I mean, I think a great example of this is like the Matrix. Like to me, yeah. when I watch the Matrix, I'm like this. The first movie, anyway. I'm yeah. like this is very clearly, especially with whom who made it, like an allegory for being transgender. Like it's very clearly like right. that. You know. However, there are a lot of, <laughs> I don't want to speak pejoratively of them, but like there are a lot, there's a, there's a particular demographic and faction, especially in the late nineties, early two thousands that really embraced, um, the trench coat wearing, you know, yeah. uh, automatic weapon holding, um, mentality that's kind of put up in that film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, many schools in the United States suffered because of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so 
it's it to right. me. I'm like I totally like at that point you can't. I think as the author of something kind of steps so far back and yeah. say, hey, I don't know. It's just this thing that I put out there. Yeah, um, in that case, you go stop. That. Please stop. Yeah. <laughs> please stop. Also, gun reform. Also. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm the, I'm rambling. No, I, I love it. it. If you don't mind talking about it, I love it. <laughs> also, there's an element, if I may. Yeah. Of a Christmas Carol, about yes. it, which is, I think, the greatest story ever told. Ever told, ever told. And um, I saw, there was something that really reminded me of it. It was something I saw. I saw at the Old Vic, which is a theatre in London. They yes. had a new version of Christmas Carol, and they'd added a scene in it. And it was by Jack Thorne, the writer, who's a very oh. good writer. And this scene, and I can't even... I'll try and tell you it without crying. But <laughs> sort of at the end, when he's cured as it were when he's he's learned his lesson that he's brought back to seeing himself as a child and he sees himself as a child like sort of innocently playing and he starts crying uh scrooge now starts Mm. crying and the ghost says why are you crying and he says i don't want him to become me oh and it fucking kills me that (laughs) but there's an element of that particularly in that episode seven i was like oh yeah this is the the russian doubt this is the I, I joke, and this is kind of a spoiler alert, but also possibly a good segue. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. but you know, I joke that Russian Doll, one of the reasons it's so dear to me, um, beyond, like, that I'm very proud of my work, and, and uh, you know, it's something that Natasha had been working on for so long, and, and to be a part of, like, kind of making that come to fruition for mm-hmm. her. But it's also, like, very truthfully, like, my, my three favorite movies in one thing. <laughs> Which is? <laughs> Which is... Do you want to try to guess? Groundhog Day? No. Okay. But people do think that. People do think that. It's a Wonderful Life? It's a Wonderful Life. Muppet Christmas Carol? (laughs) No, no. It's a Wonderful Life. Scrooged? (laughs) It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, You don't have to guess. Dress to Kill. (laughs) Uh, uh, Edge of Tomorrow? Uh, No. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. The Shining. And Back to the Future. Ah, wonderful. <laughs> what a lineup. Those are my three favorite films. With like, And right after after those three, it would be The Apartment by Bill Oh, Ryder, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, but those, those are the films that I think just continually haunt me and the ones that if you put... It's going mm. to be very hard, by the way. I still yeah. haven't decided between the three of them. Okay, you've got time. Which, which DVD I'm going to be buried with. It will be one of those, but okay. you, you dear, dear listener, will, will find out in real time. You've got a cliffhanger. Um, so there's the cliffhanger for that. Um, I, but, want ask, I want to ask you three other, if I may, unless you're bored of it, just three sort of technical questions about your show. No, no, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just is, meant like... <laughs> I, no, I, was I like, think... You could now stop listening, I guess. Yeah, you could <laughs> If you were really forward. interested in if what you're my really here for the list. <laughs> If you're, you're here for the, the list. If you're just here for the list, you skip can... Skip forward a bit, yeah, but I'm here yeah. for this. Yeah. Uh, the, okay, so so people who've seen it, we've told you to... So she dies and she keeps waking up, starting yes. again in the bathroom. Yes. On a practical level, yeah. you've got eight episodes, she wakes up in that bathroom 20 times or whatever, so it's 20 different versions of yes. that scene. Yeah. Did you shoot them all in a row? How the fuck did you keep yes. continuity of that? Well, and we... Did shoot them. We shot the the, the show uh, in blocks shooting, which is kind of how people are doing television now, which is that you um, schedule uh, three episodes at one time. Right. So we shot one through three, which I directed, four through six, which Jamie yeah. Babbitt directed, uh, amazing uh, filmmaker who did the, But I'm a Cheerleader and Addicted to Fresno with Natasha. And then the last block, seven and eight, were directed like uh, by me and Natasha, respectively. So... 
when you're shooting, you're shooting episodes one through three, and you're shooting all the party scenes at the same time for those three episodes. You're shooting all the bathroom scenes for that episode. You're shooting all the stuff that takes place in, you know, other characters' apartments or, you know, so on and so forth. Some stuff had to be done early on that would eventually end up in 108. Like, there's a particular shot that Natasha had to shoot, even though we didn't have anything else planned for 108. We were just like, we know she's going to come out of the bathroom and everything's going to be restored. So, spoiler, but, um, so we shot that right after I shot the first shot of the, of the entire series or sorry, sorry, the first, um, reveal, like once she opens the door and she walks into the party, that's the same setup camera wise as when she comes out and kind of has her, it's a wonderful life moment of like, you know, Merry Christmas with the house and like, you know, all that stuff. Oh, the fish are here, (laughs) you know, like, all that stuff. Um, but it was very difficult. We had a great script supervisor named um, Melissa Yap Stewart, who is uh, also worked on Orange is the New Black. And right. she was incredible. She had a whole spreadsheet uh, done. Uh, a lot of my department heads, like the uh, production designer and, and uh, the DP and all that kind of stuff, they all uh, were very much aware that with each loop, which is what we call each yeah. reset, that different things would change and some things would have to be the same. Um, so if you do repeat watchings, and some people are doing that, you'll notice that things start to disappear and people start to disappear from stuff that we've already set up. So even though I think, especially in a first viewing, you think, oh, they're just shooting the same thing. They're actually all very slightly different. And we kind of tried to, we, yeah, it was crazy. And then a lot of it was like uh, also in my head, you know what I mean? Like, and in Natasha's head, like a lot of it was like, I just have to remember that, that, that what's happened before this and like what's about to happen after it. So, you know, like, we, as that high of mind, I would say, yeah. like between like me and Natasha and the and the the, the 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 designers and Melissa, like we would all just be like, okay, hold on a second, wait a minute, yeah. where are we? Like, yeah. <laughs> what year is it? Um, and then you know, anyway, but uh, you were going to ask something, and I no I no kept well, well it's um it, the other thing that occurred to me, and maybe it isn't true. But it seems like the show is so well constructed and, and because it's repeating and going back and everything counts, doesn't seem like a show you can change the script as you go along or, or like it seems like you've got to have everything locked. We had a lot of it locked when we first started shooting it. Yeah. There, there surprisingly was a lot of stuff that got changed really? though. Yeah, I mean for for how, you know, you would be surprised at how much leg, uh, sorry, um, wiggle room we had, you know, between, even if just in the sense of, you know, um, improving in scenes and like having, you know, kind of emotional moments land in a different way than we had originally intended them to. Um, like for example, I remember in episode seven, um, we needed to change kind of, you know, Alan has this kind of, you know, penultimate scene with his, ex-girlfriend Beatrice where yeah. he's talking to her and that scene originally had taken place with his mother character that you had been introduced with in the fourth episode yeah. um, and basically all of this stuff kind of ended up happening truthfully like with that actress's schedule and like the oh, fact that we couldn't get that set back and right. like you know there was just all this stuff that was kind of like well if we're not ready to shoot that now we may need to change it later are you cool with that okay. and it was kind of like yeah we're cool with that we will be able to figure out how to end this guy's journey eventually right. you know what i mean yeah. like we know what it is we just don't know exactly how to say it yet okay. um and so there was a lot of like you know art in adversity and like 
necessity is the mother of invention kind of stuff that did happen while shooting, where it was like, oh, you know what? Actually, we need to change this thing. Um, Does that work with all the other stuff that we've built up? Like, does does that make sense with, like, everything else? And so I think that if it had been left up to, like, one person, like, one filmmaker, I think it might have gone really south. But because there was that hive mind of people, so like, everybody would be like, yeah. wait a minute, like, you actually can't do that because at 9 a.m. on Mondays, we've already established that it's not raining. So we can't shoot this right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's yeah. like, like, you know, kind of just stuff like that. And then right. we would kind of think, okay, well, if we can't shoot outside where this originally took place, then what would make sense for this character? You know, like, it, yeah. it really was just having to roll with the punches of shooting in New York, you yeah. know, like, and, and... And shooting a TV show, you know, like, I mean, truthfully, like, so, um, I'd like to say that it was all planned yeah. down, it was perfectly, you know, like, but the truth is, is that nothing is always perfectly planned out, you know, I mean, there's a great yeah. Spielberg story in, um, the documentary that just was on yeah, HBO so, yeah. about, um, so, you know, the story of, uh, you know, the, the, the landing at Normandy with, yeah. you know, that he had to switch, like, he had this whole plan and he had to you know, switch where everything was going to be because of where the light was and Mm. where they had built, um, uh, you know, the, the stuff for the cameras and, you know, all this stuff. And, 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 you know, and I'm, I'm watching that and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is the thing that I think nobody tells you when you're an aspiring filmmaker is that like the mark of an amazing filmmaker is your flexibility. It's actually going like, okay, I still know what I want. I still know what it needs to be. How do I execute that given the problems that have come up on this day? Um, I think that the way that we're kind of taught to think of these, you know, auteurs is that they already have the whole thing completely planned out. And, you know, if you question that, then you're going against some sort of artistic vision. Yeah. Um, but I think that the Star Wars prequels may have saw, you know, <laughs> may have, may have cured us of that. that. Forever, you know, like it's just like, oh man, somebody needs to ask this guy a question. Like, someone needs to be giving notes. (laughs) Somebody needs to say, like, I'm so sorry. Um, why would they? uh, You know, like, like I'm trying to think of like a myriad of problems with the Star Wars prequels, but we don't need to go down that hole. I don't think. uh, okay, two more questions, and I promise we're going to move on. No, yes, of course. I I love talking about this. Oh, you're not bored. No, no, not at all. One is, how did you choose the song? That she wakes up to, which I've, I'm so, still loving oh, and not annoyed by it yet, but you must. Yeah, no, not at all. Not not oh, annoyed really? by it. I, I, all I remember is that I know that that's, that song was always in the pilot. It just always said, Gotta Get Up by Harry Nelson. Yeah. I can't remember if it was like that Natasha had it on. She had sent me a playlist, like a Spotify right. playlist. It may have been on that. She may have just said, like, I really love this song. Okay. I may have may have just put it in there, like, yeah. as a placeholder and kind of thought, like, we'll definitely pick something later, you know? Like, but at some point, it just became the song. So and, like, we started playing it on set when we were working. And, like, you know, when you want people to be, like, kind of acting like they're at a party. And the whole by the time we got to the edit, where we really had to make that decision. Because that's really when you have to yeah, make that yeah. decision. It's, like, not... I mean, you can sit, you can put it in the script, you can play it on set, but like when it comes down to it, you have to clear it, you have to pay for it, and you have to make sure it works. Yeah. And it worked like gangbusters. It was like a yeah. little touch of, I like to think of it as like a little touch of the, of the supernatural on the show, because like there, it shouldn't work. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's yeah, like it's hearing like, a yeah. song that often should not work. And, and I have heard it 75,000 yes. times. Yeah. As has as Natasha and like we sat there in the edit for 
you know, three or four months listening to it over and over again. And I never got tired of it. And I remember when we first, when we were editing, we would, we would screen all the episodes in kind of chunks instead of watching each episode as like a half hour thing. So we would sit down with like, you know, like my wife and like Mm -hmm. a couple of like, um, people that, you know, maybe had worked on the show but hadn't seen anything yet. And so we'd sit down and we'd watch, like, one through four. And, you know, we would say, like, the first question we'd say is, like, are you annoyed by the song? (laughs) Like, and they're like, no, it's my favorite song. It's so good. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, it's my favorite song of all time, you know. But also, I think Natasha has, like, a much more, like, personal connection to that song. So I feel like she probably is the person that originally pitched it. I just know that, like, once we started using it, and I know that I know that song really well, and, like, I love Harry Nelson from like, you know, he always pops up in like the best kind of places, like in good at the end of Goodfellas. Yeah. And um he did a, this crazy uh animated film called The Point. I don't know if you've ever oh, seen no. that, but like when I was a kid, like there's all these it's it was it was narrated by Ringo Starr and it, oh, it has all of his music in it and it's like so fucking weird. It's like definitely right. everyone's on LSD and you're like I think you, I don't even know if you can get it now. It might just be on YouTube, but like, it, you know, so for me, he had been such a formative yeah. kind of um, musician, but I actually didn't know much about him. Like, like I, I didn't know about his life. I didn't know that he died of a heart attack at a like pretty young age. And, you know, all those things that kind of mirror, I think what Russian dolls is about, you know, yeah. like, which I think is also why it kind of works is like, you know, again, I think of it as a ghost story and like the fact that he's like kind of haunting it is kind of amazing yeah. as well. Like, so I'm really glad that however it came about, that it, that it totally ended up works. sticking and that we, and that we got it cleared and that the, yeah. and that they let us use it. That was the other thing is that it is kind of an unofficial theme song, yeah. you know, like it, and you know, uh, that's not something I think that you usually get from, uh, from an artist like that, you know, like, or yeah. a, an estate like that, you know, like it is kind of like, you want to be the theme song of the new Netflix show? <laughs> like, it's like, no, like yeah. <laughs> probably not, but, um, yeah. My last question yes. on this subject is, I also love the casting. And there were loads of people I don't think I'd seen before. And that might just be because I haven't no, seen No, 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 yeah. But I thought everyone was brilliant. I particularly love, I think it's Greta Lee. Yes, it? Greta Lee, yeah. Great. And I loved everyone. And I really thought, oh, this is all people I haven't seen. Yeah. And also, there was something about it, which I think is really hard, which is, I think it was really cool. I think the party looked cool. I think the world was cool. Like, it was cool. It was cool, It was yeah. sort of like, oh, yeah, this is cool. I yeah. wanted to be there. I wanted to be part of it. And actually, making cool is really hard. Really hard, And I wonder yeah. if that just is because you're cool. Or no. Or you, you, like, how... Because often when people, like, try to be cool, it's very not it's cool. It's not cool but at all. But it is definitely cool. I have to say, like, the thing is, is, like, Natasha Leone is very cool. She's cool. She's right. very cool. And she was very involved in casting and very involved in casting even the background actors. Right, yeah. Like, really, like, very, like, I, it was, it's so funny because, like, I usually kind of go, like, yeah, sure, these people, you know, we'll probably never see them. You know, yeah, <laughs> you know I kind yeah. of, like, wasn't really thinking of it as, like... You know, but she was extremely um, curating about it. Like she, she wanted to have a certain type of people um, populating each scene, yeah. and um, and I think she did an amazing. Like I would kind of just show up, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, all these people are so cool! Where'd you yeah. find all these people?" Um, also, a lot of the kind of like there are a lot of little bit parts that are friends of hers, like right. that are are people that she knows. Uh, the most. Um, 
prominent one is that Chloe Sevigny plays uh, yeah, Nadia's right. mother. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of like little like one, you know, one or two lines, you know, like Brendan Sexton, the third who plays horse, the, um, oh, the guy yeah, that lives great. in the park. Like that's a that's somebody that she's worked with, like from way back in the day. And I think that like I got to bring a couple people to the mix, like, you know, Rebecca Henderson, who is my wife in real life, plays Lizzie, the character of Lizzie. On the show, right. and um, Jeremy Bob, who plays Mike, kind of the yeah, yeah. the bad guy, yeah. I guess. Like, that was a guy that I had been wanting to work with forever. Like, He's I kept pitching very, him very for nice. everything. I was like, yeah. I was like, I was, I, I, everyone was, like, making fun of me because they were like, we get it. You love Jeremy Bob. And I was like, I know, but I just, I really want him to be in something. Like, let's, you know, like, let's try to get him in there. But I'd seen him on um, Soderbergh's The Nick. And uh, uh, and then uh, he was in another Soderbergh thing called The Mosaic and um something else and i i just was like this guy is so special but you know and then there were a lot of people that just came in to read like ritesh who plays Ferran, was a guy that just came in our um christine cromer our casting director had him come in and read and we were just like in love with him like immediately and but even charlie who plays alan was somebody that um natasha knew socially and was like you know i feel like this guy you know we keep talking about this character you know she was like i know this guy you know through i think samira wiley from orange is the new black another actress and um she was like, I think this guy, Charlie, I think he could really, you know, do it. And he was kind enough to come in and read. And we were like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. But I do remember, like, way back in the day when we were first developing the show that I had mentioned to Amy and Natasha that I thought it would be cool if Natasha was kind of the most recognizable ac- actor out of everyone. Yeah. Like, not that people wouldn't recognize Greta from being on, like, you know, a lot of different uh, you know, Broad City, High Maintenance, She's in oh, Sisters. Like, you know, she's she's worked a lot. And and um, uh, Brendan Sexton also has worked a lot. You know, um, the woman that plays Ruth, Elizabeth Ashley, is like an incredible yeah. theater actress that has been working for a gajillion years, you know. But I kind of loved the idea of, like, suspending the audience's disbelief enough that mm-hmm. they weren't kind of recognizing actors from shows. Yeah. You know, like, that they weren't going, like, you know, um, oh, that's that guy from whatever, like, yeah. as they're in the midst of kind of trying to solve this puzzle, you know, so I'm gl- I'm glad that that kind of ended up happening, yeah. you know, like, kind of, although it wasn't really quite a dictate by the time we started casting it, but yeah. I think, like, maybe I planted that seed early on, or maybe I just still had it in my head, but I remember thinking it once we started screening them together and kind of being like, gosh, it is great that... You know, unless you're like a real, you know, yeah. comedy nerd or a real actor nerd, you wouldn't necessarily recognize a lot of these people because they're either, you know, playing against type or mm-hmm. they're playing, you know, um, characters that they uh, maybe wouldn't. I, well, I just said that playing against yeah. type. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm just going to say the same thing again. <laughs> uh, thank you for talking to me about. Oh my gosh, of course. I mean, I could talk to you for another hour, but I think, yeah. we, I think. Oh, <laughs> hang on. Yeah. No, ask me. Yeah. Oh no, I've forgotten to tell you something. <laughs> Oh, and it's really bad that I haven't told you this. No, what? Oh, God. Oh, I should have told you when I got here. No, what is it? Oh, fuck. I'm so sorry. I'm just going to have to say it. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to take it. I think, well, you're probably quite zen about these things, but you've died. You died. Oh, no. Gotta get up, 
died. How did you die? Oh, I died at the ripe old age of 97 years old. 97, so close. Yeah, so close. Almost made it to 100. And, uh, but kind of felt like, fuck it. You know right. what I mean? Like, I could kind of feel myself going, like, I can't, I could make it another three years. You know, in England, if you get to 100, you get a birthday card from the Queen. <laughs> no, you, know you don't. That? In America, do you, does Trump send no. you an email? <laughs> send you a tweet. <laughs> 100% no. Oh, my God. <laughs> Is that yeah, true? Yeah, yeah. That's why people in England want to live to 100. Get that birthday card from the Queen. From the Queen. Yeah. Oh, the Queen. That's why I was sad you didn't make 100. But here, uh, if you're not It getting, won't matter. Yeah. It'll yeah. be like whatever. If you Meghan know. Markle's not, not no, messaging you, forget it. Meghan <laughs> Markle. If, actually, I would do it for her. Okay. I would do it for her. I really, by the way, have fallen very, very hard for that, for, for that young woman. Yeah. I uh, at first was kind of like, oh, I don't, I didn't watch Suits, so I was yeah. kind of like, I'm not sure what's going on, and then I was like, nope, I'm in, I'm in, 100. And I don't know if it was that like royal tour or something, yeah, but yeah. something happened. I was like, I'm into you. Anyway, um, sorry, you're 97. So I'm 97 years old, mm-hmm. and I passed away in the arms of my wife, Rebecca Henderson. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it was like little, you know, like early in the morning. Yeah, and just a nice little. What did you die of? Uh, just old age, you know. Yeah, yeah nothing too painful. Is that a thing? No, old age. I don't think so. <laughs> when people say they die, should I find, age, should I find like, something worse? Let me think. No, it's your yeah, choice, yeah. and most people choose horrific deaths. So I'm quite after everything you've made. <laughs> Maybe, nice I, that maybe I worked it all out yeah. in Russian Doll. Like I've seen, like I had enough like violent, you know, yeah. unexpected deaths that that I was like that. Literally, the first thing I thought of when I got my homework was like, yeah, peacefully yeah. in bed with my wife. Oh, side um, note, by the way, I think you should make an action film. Because oh, I would love to. The falling down the steps sequence in oh. episode two is fucking it's, perfect. Thank you so much. And not, I know that is not easy. Timing no. wise, everything. Excellent. No, thank Carry you. On. No, that's I. I my 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 I dream. To do the next Fast and the Furious. Yeah, my dream. My dream has always been to to direct a Bond movie. That's, <sighs> uh, truly, like I loved Bond when I was growing up so much. Like I had like. The first movies I ever made were, like, with, like, Bond action figures oh, and, like, great. little toys and stuff. I just loved James Bond when I was little. Uh, you die in the arms of your wife. Yes. She yeah. Is she older or younger than I ask? Um, we're the same age. She's only oh, so six, she's six months. She's also 97, yeah. She may have died at the same time. We may have died together so at the same moment. you're holding each other yeah. and you die of old age. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice way to go. Yeah. Do you worry about death? I do. I do. My wife and I have a reoccurring joke where I tell her that I'm scared of dying. Mm-hmm. It's not really a joke. I, I just realized <laughs> it's not a joke, but I just go like, what, what happens it's is at one joke. point I yeah. told her that I was afraid of dying because I was afraid of, of the nothingness. So is that what you, you think know? happens? So that's what I think happens is that there's just nothing. And my wife was very rightfully so saying, yes, there's nothing, but you're not conscious. So you don't know that it's nothing. It's just over. And I said, but you don't know that. Like, yeah. it could just be nothing, and we're still conscious, and there's just nothing. And I can't, I don't, I don't know if I can, like, handle that. And she says, no, when you die. <laughs> so the, the quote-unquote joke is yeah. that, like, you know, sometimes when we're quiet together or snuggling or something, she'll go, the nothingness. <laughs> <laughs> just to freak me out because I'll start crying and I'll yeah. be like don't talk to me about the nothing I don't know there's something I just can't think of anything worse than like being conscious for nothing for is. nothing like I just I, I that is so terrifying to me 
Because at least even yeah. pain, you would be like, at least I'm experiencing something. But well, it's like the sunken place, isn't it? That's yes, of yes, exactly. Just, oh god, that, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. That freaked me the fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like screaming in the theater. I was like, no, this is my yeah, worst nightmare. Out. This is my worst nightmare. Yeah. Get me the fuck out, literally. Title yeah. of the film, working on so many levels. <laughs> um, oh my god, so, yeah. The nothingness. Okay. Yeah. Well. So that's that's what I think about when I think about death. I I, I don't think about pain nor death. You know, like. Anything like that, I just think like, oh Jesus. <laughs> that's that's uh, well. I have good news for you. Oh yeah. There there is an afterlife, oh. and you're totally conscious, and it's called heaven. It's it's a heaven. And how chill is it? Is it? Chill? It's super chill. But all <laughs> anyone is <laughs> so chill. But all anyone is people there are obsessed with films. Oh, this sounds. This yeah. is this is heaven for me. And there's there's cinemas and there's like screening rooms <sighs> and popcorn and shit. And people are like, you know those ball pens that kids jump in? Yes. There's them, but just filled with popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, you can swim in it. And then, oh, you know, this is truly, Reese's truly my Reese's knocking about. Yeah. And it's totally cool. Uh, but all anyone wants to talk to you about is your life, but through... Fi- but through film. I see, I the see. The first thing they ask you is, what is the first film that you remember seeing? First film I remember seeing is Mary Poppins. Oh, fuck, that's a good one. <laughs> I loved that movie with no a, the fire like of a thousand yes. suns. I loved it. I watched it probably every day. I knew on TV. Did you watch it? Do you we owned this? it. We owned okay. it. You know, uh, whenever it was that I was born in 1980. So okay. whenever it was that I reached sentience, that we had some way of watching. Right. You know, it could have been taped off TV. I don't remember, but um, I do remember watching it. I had it on. I had like a a book yeah. on it and like an accompanying like yeah. on record like well, like, like a ding a ding a ding turn yeah, the page yeah turn the page uh, like yeah. I loved Mary Poppins so fucking much I knew all I might even still know like many many of the lyrics yeah. of 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 but I would at parties and this is kind of I think where my like performer thing came in but like as a party trick with my parents I would do songs from Mary Poppins because I knew them so well. I loved that movie. I loved her. I was obsessed with her. I was like I'd never seen anyone so beautiful. Like yeah. I just loved her attitude. I loved that like she'd come in. I read this amazing book called Leaving the Enchanted Forest when I Yes, I've read this. Have you read this book? About about relationship about, about yes. codependency and relationship <laughs> yes. addiction and one of the one of the things that they do um, one of the exercises in it, as you might remember, is that they ask you to think of a, you know, like a lead character or, you know, like an archetype from your childhood that like are one of the first kind of like, you know, Cinderella mm-hmm. or, you know, for you guys, I don't know what it is. Like, what are young men brought up on? Like, what's your first? Super Ted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Super Ted, you know. Yeah. Um, and then they, they ask you to kind of like name the attributes of that character and then they kind of have you look at how those attributes are attributes that you're trying to have in your sex and romantic life. And it's like with with Mary Poppins, I was like, this is wild because it's like when I, before I met my wife, Mm -hmm. there was, there was definitely these feelings of like, I mean, practically perfect in every way. Like that she comes and goes when the wind changes. She's not, she's basically just like dropping into people's lives and then leaving. Like these were all things that like, I never explain anything. Like these were all things that I was kind of acting out in like my romantic relationships. Not all of them, but definitely the the ones where I wasn't being myself 
I was actually being Mary, being Mary Poppins. <laughs> oh my God, that's so interesting. It, was, it blew my mind. Yeah. And so, you know, I just love that. I still love it. When I saw the the sequel, which I didn't enjoy that much, but I, I have to say, like, uh, I did really enjoy Emily Blunt's performance. And, yeah. and when, and I found myself just crying in yeah. the movie theater. I was, I started crying and I was like, I can't believe I'm crying. I don't know why I'm crying. And I was like, oh, because I'm, I'm in love with this character and, yeah. and how much she meant to me. And, and it just, it was just crazy. So that was the first, that's the first movie I remember seeing, but it's also, I was extremely obsessed with relationships. it. Yeah. Um, if mine is Super Ted, then Super Ted is a teddy bear that gets brought to life by a spotty man <laughs> and then uh, sort of flies about. So I don't know if it always works. It may not always work. It may not always <laughs> no, I mean, that work. That sounds like me in a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what, uh, it's like it's not you and your relationships, but it's like it's like who you're pretending to be. It's yeah. like it's like what is your you know like what is that ideal kind of behavior mm. that that like you're trying to you know? But I don't know. I mean, you, no, read I really the book. Read excellent. the book if you guys are interested. I think that's excellent. <laughs> I love that you're Mary Poppins. Did you do you have uh, oh, brothers sorry. and sisters or? Yes, I have three younger siblings. Oh, I have wow. two. I have two younger sisters and a younger brother. Did you all watch this together, or was this something? Yes. Oh right. no, this was like we were all in on this. Like yeah. we, we. Oh God, we all loved it. We acted it all out. We also really loved uh, um, movie musicals in general. Yeah. Uh, we were not brought up uh, in a super pop culture savvy home um, because we were brought up very Christian and Catholic religiously right so um so you know all the other movies that are kind of attend on with mary poppins were what we were watching like uh like sound of music music, you know um bed knobs and broomsticks you know so good so So good good. so yeah we all all the headland children were in on it yeah i love this yeah uh what where was it by the way where you grew up oh um well where i start where those memories are from i was born in long beach california and lived here until i was about like six five five okay. six four i don't know it was before i went into school okay um and then we moved to the east coast to maryland so all right yeah. hacks is back for season three and so is the official hacks podcast in each episode hacks creators lucia and yellow paul w downs and jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the emmy winning comedy series You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Um, what is the film that made you cry the most? Oh, man. So this is also the answer to another one of your questions that you gave me, which is the okay. movie that doesn't hold up. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> um, Life is Beautiful. Interesting answer. So when I saw that movie, I saw it in the theater when I was 17 years old. Yeah. And I could not stop crying for, I'm not kidding, three days. My mom, I was inconsolable. I saw it on a Friday. 
I was inconsolable all weekend. My mother had to like talk me into going to school on Monday. I just couldn't, I was in, I could not move. I was like, I, my mom kept being like, but it's like a, it's like a great, it's a great movie. You know, and I was like, no, it's the fucking Holocaust. Like, you know, and I, I have not seen it like since that time period, like Mm -hmm. the late nineties, like I definitely owned it and watched it again, I'm sure. But um, and I really like loved Roberto Benini. Like I just like yeah. went through this phase where like, you know, I watched all of his films, not Pinocchio, but everything before Life is Beautiful. And like when he won the Oscar, I like freaked out. Like I was like yeah. a super fan. And of course now I'm like, this is really not a movie that ever should have been made. And like 100% no, but I, it made me just uncontrollably. Like I just didn't. Like, if you bring it up in my household, like, everyone will remember. Like, they're just like, oh, right, Leslie, for, like, months. Like, you know, for those three days, but then months of just, like, being morose and, like, not making it. It's like, oh, my God, I just really was, like, a a monster about it. Every day they're checking in on you. Are you okay? And you go, yeah, my life life isn't beautiful. beautiful. (laughs) Life isn't beautiful anymore. Um, But that's also a movie that I feel like I haven't watched it in a while, but... I just watched, like, a, a film essay about, you know, Nazis in film and, like, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff. And um, I'm going to misquote it. But if you guys want to go watch it, it's by Lindsay Ellis. It's very good. Um, and uh, Mel Brooks talks about that movie, about Life is Beautiful and how kind of irresponsible it is. Oh, really? And, yeah. And, and just... That's interesting. Yeah, it's really... What, what, why did he... I'd like to know. Do you remember? I what he don't. Says? I don't remember. No. I meant to look it up before I did this interview, but like That's I, right. I think you guys just have to go look for yourselves because I think okay. I, I think I'd butcher it okay. sadly. But he makes like an incredible point, which yeah. is how the representation of the Holocaust and of um, Nazism within the tone and the story yeah. of that movie are not appropriate. That's so interesting. I wrote yeah. an essay on that film. Like I did love that film, but I have not watched it. In- yeah. Many, 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 many years. Yeah. I feel like nobody has. I feel like we all, like, we all, like, I'm making the sign of of (laughs) finding a vein to get to shoot up some heroin. Like, we all, like, hit that fucking bong Mm. of Life is Beautiful in, like, 1998. And we were like, fuck yeah. You know, like, and now we're all, like, looking back on it, like, 20 years later being like, we know. That's, like, not. The Holocaust comedy. We all did we like the Holocaust comedy? Yeah, we, we all liked it. Yeah, we all liked it. We yeah. all loved it. It was nominated for many, many Oscars. It won a couple. Like, yeah. it just, and I don't, I don't even know why it affected me so much, honestly. Maybe it's because it's a fucking... Well, it's fucking sad. Sad. Yeah. It's, maybe it's just because it's a, you know, like, I'm, you know, maybe it was the kind of combination of you're supposed to feel good and yet this is terrible. Yeah. You know, like, I don't, I don't know, but... That's it's a sad ending. He dies at the end. He disappears behind the yeah. thing. Yeah, I still remember tank- so yeah, many. Yeah. Like the thing is, is I I don't remember the storyline of the movie, but I remember many images from the movie. You yeah. know, like I remember him kind of like doing the goose stepping, like yeah. as he's walking away, and his son is like laughing. Yeah, but we all know that he's dead now. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's fucking fucked. It's fucked <laughs> up. Like, don't show that to people. You know what I mean? Like, and don't show it to seventeen-year-old. You. Goth chicks, you know. <laughs> Were you a goth kid? No, uh, but I was a drama kid, which kind yeah. of feels like I was. I was a pothead. Oh, great. <laughs> so, um, one of that counts. What is the film that scared you the most? You like a horror film? Oh, yes, but it's not a horror film. Oh, great. Go on. I mean, I've been scared by many a horror film. Many, yeah. many. But the film that fucking chilled me to the bone, Zodiac. 
Oh, interesting. I left Zodiac. I went to go see Zodiac the the you know March of two thousand seven, whenever it was it came out. I left the theater. I, I watched a um, a matinee, so I left the theater during the day. Right, and I was terrified. I was terrified. And that night I was terrified. And like, I, I could not shake it. I couldn't shake the feeling of like, there is evil out there. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it could be targeting you right now. You have no idea. And it's completely random. It's completely random. There's no, like, it's not Michael Myers. Like, it's not like, you know, it is, it's just, and I, I became extremely obsessed with the movie and have seen it many, many times. And, um, there's a great commentary. Tra- there are two commentary tracks for the film. One of them is with James Elroy, who wrote uh, L.A. Confidential. And, you know, um, as he introduces himself on the commentary, the crown prince of crime. I was like, excuse me? Or Without like, irony. The crown prince of, like, it's like the crown prince of American fiction or something, crime fiction or something like that. Did and I was like, say it? No, I mean, we're humor. all like, like right. I think it's like him and like James Vanderbilt and he's like, poor Vanderbilt's like, Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway, but he says something on the, com- he says something on the commentary track because of course his mother was brutally murdered and, and what they never found out who is that he was like, what this movie really nails is that these guys are not smart. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, they're, they're basically pieces of garbage that get away with it. And, and there's nothing we can do. And that evil is not this, like, you know, so I just couldn't shake that for a while after seeing that movie. And I've come to really love it, and I watch it. I don't get as scared by it yeah. anymore, but it is a movie that it, it, I was, there was something, maybe it's the nothingness, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, was it like, is the nothingness. You know what I mean? Like, that scared me so much more than, like, you know, I've, obviously I've seen so many jump scare movies, so yeah. many, like, you know incredible horror films that I love, but, like, that truthfully scared me more, I think. Yeah, it's that's like an existential serial killer film, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, of, yeah, 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 yeah. Have no, you seen it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just wild. I, when I was living with Melissa, by the way, I, yeah. that was when I was really obsessed with it, and she was like, you've got to stop watching fucking Zodiac, dude. She'd, like, come home from work, and I'd still be watching it. She'd be like, it's fucking, dude, no more Zodiac. No more. No more Zodiac for you. No more Zodiac for you. No. Mary Poppins then again. <laughs> Yeah, and we we banned Life is Beautiful from this house. (laughs) What is the film that people and critics generally say is shit, but you are like, how dare you? This film is brilliant and I stand by it no matter what. Well, there's there's two versions of the answer to this question. There's one that's like kind of a more artistic answer. Um, and then there's one that I think is kind of a more, like, there's a movie that I love and it's called, it's called Sleeping Beauty and yeah. it's by Julia Lee and it was completely reviled by every single person when it came out. What's the actress? Uh, Emily Captain? Browning. Emily Browning, yeah. And she, I think it's a fucking masterpiece. I think it's a masterpiece. I absolutely love it. I'm so sad that she never made another, I think up to now she still hasn't made another film, but it came out at Cannes, it debuted at Cannes and it got eviscerated and yeah. then it came out and it got eviscerated and like... I love it. I've seen it many, many times. I really, really enjoy it. I don't, I can't exactly say why. There's just something about it that hits a nerve for me. Um, the Emily Browning's performance is incredible. Like, it's not really about anything in so f- except uh, toxic femininity, which is like one of my favorite topics as a filmmaker. So I love it. And I love so many scenes in it. I love the way that she directed it, and everybody hates it. But mm. I also have a popcorn version answer yeah. to this, which is that, which is Independence Day. Does that, 
But do people not like? I mean, I love Independence Day. It's so good. I love, <laughs> I love that fucking movie so much. But that was a movie that I was like. There are people that like it, but I guess it's not considered like a mm. a good movie. I think you know, it's one like, of the great summer movies. Love that movie. Love that. Independence movie. Day two. No, I'm unforgivable. <laughs> it's unforgivable. Unforgivable. It's unforgivable <laughs> in every way. And I was sad, and I went to the IMAX on opening night. Yeah. And I was sad. Oh God, I didn't even bother. I didn't even bother. I just knew. I was like, I can't do this it's myself. Unforgivable. There's CGI in it. There's things happening in it where it has no like geography. There's a bit where yeah, I think that I think that a spaceship is picking up the Earth or something. Yeah, but genuinely, I was like, what? Yeah, it's what what is happening on the screen? I don't even know what I'm looking at. <laughs> Just a fucking computer image, like a glitching computer. That's yes. what I'm watching. Oh no, awful. Oh, and I'm sad, and I don't like to be negative about films, but that is an unforgivable film. <laughs> it's, it's uh, I'm sorry you had to go through that. May I ask a side note? May, yeah. note this is me being ignorant, but I would like oh, yeah. to learn. I've never heard the phrase toxic femininity. I've heard it with toxic masculinity. Oh, Can yeah. Can you summarise it in two minutes? Someone used it, to, this is very egomaniacal of me, but someone used it to describe my work in, oh. in, in something. And I thought, okay. I don't remember what it was. I, it may have been a review or, or, a, or a, maybe it was like an article about me or something. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's such a great way of putting it. Right. You know, like I do think that's a, And I, I would say that one of the things that like my work when when dealing with a female protagonist yeah. um, usually comes down to women kind of suffocating under their own womenness. Like, right. essentially, like, you know, um, I think that, that especially like my first film, Bachelorette, uh, they were women that were really basically completely sick of putting on the mask of being women. And it was kind of this peek into what are they doing to keep up that, facade i guess and how damaging is that to both themselves and people around them um what i thought was interesting when the film came out was that it was really kind of taken to task for being about female friendship as opposed to just femininity like you know like i was like it's actually just about women it's not really supposed to be about friends or they're not great friends you know they're really terrible friends like people are like my friends are just like that i'm like no they they shouldn't be (laughs) so i hope not um, or, you know, I would be asked like, you know, do you have friends like that? And I was like, no, no, I, but I know women like that. And I'm turning up my kind of more negative attributes up to the nth mm. degree in order to, you know, kind of dig into them and find out those kinds of things. And, but yeah, that's how I would describe toxic fe- femininity. <laughs> excellent. Excellent answer. Now, the next question, which you have answered, I believe is what is the film you used to love and your, oh yeah. Yeah. But you haven't checked it out. You're just scared of it. We're scared of looking I'm at life. I'm very terrified to look back at life. Yeah. Maybe we'd like, love it. Maybe we'd be like, oh no, it's cool. I mean, I loved that movie. Yeah, like too. I was obsessed with it. I like knew everything about it. Like I, like I literally like, you know, drove in, had my, made my mom for my birthday that year. I made my mother drive from Connecticut, where we were living at the time, into New York so that I could watch Il Mostro, a different Roberto Bonini film, like at a second run movie oh, theater. Great. Like, you know, what I mean? like I was like, I want to go see. Like, because I don't think was it was like, like no, my mom look was at like, the state you're, you're in. <laughs> you, what the fuck is going on? It's like instead of listening to like you know Tori Amos, I was like obsessed with Roberto Bonini. It's like so I love weird. It. So I'm just, I'm terrified to look back at that movie. I just, yeah. when I saw my homework, I was like, that's got to be. I'm sure it's that. I'm positive. I can't maybe look yet. Not, but, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay. What is the film that 
means the most to you, not because the film itself, film might be rubbish, might not be a no. great film, but the memory you have around seeing that film. It might have been a first date with your wife, might have been the day you got a job, might have been the day someone died, but you'll always remember that film um, because of the event surrounding it. The movie that came out for me for this was this Woody Allen film, Radio Days. Yes. Because my family and I mm-hmm. watched that movie every New Year's Eve for probably like a decade, decade really? and a half. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't, I think because there's a New Year's Eve scene in it, maybe. Okay. I think. So would you time it that that, when it gets to midnight in the film, it's midnight in the world? Oh no, I don't think we were that together about it. No, no, no. <laughs> but we just, we just watched it every, every year we would sit down and watch it together and yeah. You know, I don't really like it that much of a film. Like, I don't really... I like some of the performances in it. I don't, yeah. I don't think I've seen it in probably 10 or 15 years. But but that's a film that, like, I just would always remember, like, that's, in connection to my family. And do you have any uh, reason... Do you know why that was your film? That's just no. happened? That's just... It just your happened. Your mom and dad just loved it? Or? Yeah. My parents really loved certain films that... that my parents loved Woody Allen. Right. Like, they watched Woody Allen my entire childhood and really? eventually just let me start watching it with them because they were like... We're not taking you to another banana. Exactly. They were like, <laughs> you know, like, after a while they were like, well, she's here anyway. And, like, you know, so we watched a lot of those and, and um, they really loved Radio Days. They just really loved Radio Days. I don't know why. It's such an interesting... <laughs> such a weird movie. It's a nice film. But, it's cute. I think it's like kind of, you know, Sweet. they really love. Oh, the other one that they really love is Broadway Danny Rose. That's the other oh, film right. of his that they love. So they, they that would probably be another one. That one we watched every year. They like the sweet ones. On, yeah, on Thanksgiving. Because that has a Thanksgiving scene at the end. <laughs> They're all having Thanksgiving. They only watch event he, movies yeah. on the event. Yeah. Independence Day for Independence Day. And... No, no. Didn't watch Independence Day on the 4th of July, though. What did mm. we watch on 4th of July? Born on the 4th of July? No. What if it was something really dark, though? <laughs> I'm going to try to see if I can remember all the... the, the Halloween and Halloween? The, no. But, you know, what? we always watched Raiders of Lost Ark on my birthday. Right. That's always what I picked. Great. I don't know why. I like other movies more, but it's like at some point it becomes like tradition. That's and your you just have to keep watching them. But so at some point when we all became teenagers, we stopped doing stuff like that. But, right. but yeah, Broadway Danny Rose we would watch on Thanksgiving and then Radio Days we would watch on New Year's. <laughs> So, so weird. weird. <laughs> so weird. Sadly, it. it's going in the coffin. I mean, well, I don't know if it's going in the coffin yeah. with me, but it's it's but it's up here. It's, I love with it. Me being dead. It's, yeah. it's I'm being buried with them. Sadly, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> it's really weird, but I love it. It's super strange. Yeah. It's so strange. And it's then so specific like, as well. It's, it's not like so specific. It's a wonderful life, which everyone watches. which everyone watches. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you know, and we did. I actually just took them to Film Forum in New York to watch It's a Wonderful Life on Thirty Five, and like. Right. You know, took my parents there and we all cried and it was like, great, you know, like, but weirdly these like, what do you movies are like these, these seminal, like, and they're not like kids movies. Like, that's the other thing. Like, they're, yeah. they're like about like cheating on people and like doing, you know what yeah. I mean? Like all these things. And my parents would just like fast forward through the stuff that was like sex sexy like they just like <laughs> and they're really lesser like lesser Woody Allen lesser like, thing, exactly like going, we're I mean, watching watch... the curse of the jade scorpion yeah, they're again. Watching the... <laughs> anything else um they were yeah. watching they, 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 they would watch the other ones too but yeah. they wouldn't watch them with us mm. you know until we got older like and then and then what's funny is like I watched Annie Hall when I was like 18 you know 19 or something and I was like, oh, these are just all my parents' jokes. Like, I was like, oh, these aren't like, you know, you know, like they wouldn't oh, let me watch that. But then when I could, I was like, 
this is my fucking dad. Like, I can't tell you how many times I heard my dad say, I've been killing spiders since I was 30. And I thought he was the funniest human being alive. Uh, wow. I was like, oh my God, you're so fun. I was like, my parents are so funny. They're so cool. And then I was like, oh no, they're just obsessed with Woody Allen. They're <laughs> fucking assholes. Uh, they're just fucking dicks. Um, what is the film that you Sorry. most relate to? Oh, Edward. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, that is me. That is me. Like, just from the opening shot of, of <laughs> that, where you answer. see him, where you see him and he's yeah. just, like, mouthing all the words backstage. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is me. Like, oh, my God. When he's, like, watching it at the end, he's like, this is it. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Like, I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is awful. Like, I just, like, I just, I, That's I've the fear, never... Right? The fear no, that, this is you're like, no, that's I am. Me. <laughs> like I am a hundred percent. You know why? And I said, you know, when I was my first, my first script that I ever really finished was a play called Cinephilia, which was all about being obsessed with movies. And it was, it was too fucked, but it was based on my, the guy that I was having sex with in college and a little bit afterwards. And yeah. he and I were both obsessed with movies. We both love movies. So, but that was kind of the only thing we had in common. We like, like we just really love movies right. and and we were pretty into fucking each other. And that was pretty much it. Sex like, and movies. I mean, that I'm was amazed it. you didn't marry this guy. <laughs> I'm kind no. of amazed we didn't get married either. Yeah. I think it's because I'm gay. But it's just like... <laughs> that might have got in the way. <laughs> that might have got in the way. But, um, but it was like, we would like, we would make out, like he knew all the Oscar trivia and like that would like turn me on mm-hmm. and like blah, blah. Like it was just so stupid. A bunch of movie nerds in love. Right. And... Um, why did I start talking about this? I don't know about that. In Cinephilia, th- there, there's this um, part about, how did this start? Oh, Edward. Oh, Edward. Edward is like, there's this part where he's talking, you know, he's kind of more, the, the male character is a little bit more, I guess, knowledgeable than the female character. Meaning like, the, he's a bit more into, like you were kind of saying that there are some people on this podcast that are like, every single one of my favorite films is a foreign film. You know, he's kind of one of those guys. Right. And then... There's the kind of me character, the female character, who gets into this fight with him about Edward and says, like, you know, and this is kind of based on the Burden film, which, of course, is not really the way that Edward lived yeah. his life, you know, like, but is that she keeps being like, Edward cared. He cared. He yeah. fucking cared. And it's like, that trumps Quite skill. You know, like, caring will always trump skill for me. And so I will look back at, like, you know, my second film, Sleeping with Other People, and there's a lot of things in there that I would do differently, and especially technically, I think there are some things that I just, like, totally fucked up. Um, I'm very proud of the performances and, and the script and stuff, but there's definitely stuff that I wish I'd had more time with or, like, whatever. But I cared so much about that movie. Mm-hmm. Like, when I look at it now, every single frame is imbued with how what I was going through at the time and that I was expressing myself through this movie. And, like, even if people don't like it, it kind of doesn't matter because, like, I cared. And that's what I loved about watching Ed Wood when I was... Uh, you know, I saw it when I was younger, like, you know, before I started making films. And then I watched it after I'd started making films. And I was, like, in tears. I was like, oh, my God, this is me. <laughs> this uh, that's is fucking, such a good answer. This is fucking me. You know, it's like, I just love when, like, like the door, like, gets fucked up. And he's like, no one's going to notice that. You know, like, I'm just like, yes. <laughs> and it's like, wow, that was amazing. Like, he's so excited about every single thing that happens. It's like, I I think my, my positivity, like, uh, you know, I, I wish my positivity was at that level all the time. Yeah. It's it's definitely not anymore. I definitely get bogged down <laughs> a lot more by the minutia of filmmaking. But um, but I think that's who I am. <laughs> Such a good answer. <laughs> Fantastic answer. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, but it, Johnny Depp as Ed Wood in Tim Burton's Ed yes. Wood. You know, like yes. not the actual Ed Wood. Because I think that 
his life was very different than that movie. They took a lot of liberties yeah, in that film. Probably slightly more. Blurry. Very sad. Very yeah. sad. Very very sad alcoholic. That man. Yeah. You know. Um, Aren't we all though? Speaking of which, no, this is a terrible <laughs> segue. What is the film? <laughs> what is the film that you found the sex here? This was hard. This was really hard. Because because you don't, or because there's too many to choose from? Well, there are too many to choose from, okay, good. number one. Number two, when I first read the question, I thought it was the most sexist film. <laughs> so I, <laughs> like, so I wanted to... And then I was like, oh no, it's the sexiest movie. <laughs> yeah. Now, what is the sexiest? Sexiest film. Okay. This is a sexist film, Secretary. <laughs> Secretary. Now, yeah. please explain to me, because you are uh, obviously very uh, smart. And I have... This has come up many times. Yeah. I would say, and I don't like to make generalizations, yeah. but I will. In this case, yeah, 90% of women say secretary. Yeah. What is, and I've seen secretary and it's good. Yes. And I get, I, I watched it and I was like, yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. What is it, if I may? I don't know how to make generalizations. Can nope. you articulate why you it think is, that film works so well for women in particular? It is fulfilling a certain type of fantasy mm-hmm. that I think we are um, in a very safe way. Yes. If that makes sense, like in a way that's not pornography, where you're kind of like, okay, <laughs> just watching people fuck now. You know, like um, it's not it's not done in an ultra ultra realistic way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like even the way that she's introduced to him, you know, she's wearing like the hood, like he's the big bad wolf that she wears. She comes in yeah. with the hood on and holding her resume, you know, holding her typing scores and. She's wet and this, the other gal is leaving and like, you know what I mean? Like it's in a way, I think it more responsibly sexualizes and brings to life a particular fantasy that like Fifty Shades of Grey does in a very irresponsible way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like Secretary does it in a very tongue in cheek way. Like it does it in a way where they're saying like, this isn't real life. This, this isn't a relationship you would actually have with someone. However, <laughs> yeah. we're going to have it, you know, like, and that's what's so, I think, exciting about it. Um, there is something about sexually working out your own trauma that is a storyline that is not very often, <laughs> I was going to say penetrated <laughs> by, <laughs> um, by mainstream film. Uh, usually sexual uh, trauma and sexual sexuality are either kept separate or trauma is a direct result of sexual assault or uh, molestation or um, some sort of um, perversion that's yeah. wrong, quote unquote wrong. And once that's fixed, you know, like your trauma will be fixed by the right penis going into your vagina. Um, what's interesting about secretary is that it posits something that a lot of people I think have talked about in more, less mainstream places, which is that um, sex is an ideal landscape to work on your trauma. That through sex and sex with your partner in a Mm -hmm. loving, caring relationship um, is a way that you could be, find yourself having um, an orgasm or being fulfilled in a way that is probably you're probably propagating some sort of power dynamic. You're probably working out some sort of shame or frustration. And while you're doing that, if it's in a safe environment, you are actually being able to get 
uh, some sort of validation or satisfaction for the way that you feel in the world. So my answer to you as to why I think women find this movie sexy, whereas men are probably like, great, is that the movie is about a woman whose boss is sexually and psychologically dominating her. But he's doing it in, for all intents and purposes, a safe way. Meaning he's not doing it in a way that's violating her civil or personal rights. Mm -hmm. And he's not doing anything she hasn't consented to. Everything she basically, I believe, I've seen this movie many times, so I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure I'm saying this, that she has consented to everything that happens in the movie. Um, And so... Um, women in the world feel dominated and violated by men almost all the time. No offense, but (laughs) it is something that, uh, the way that I put it is a a joke that I stole from someone, but is that I'm like, if you ever want to kind of know what, how we feel about men within the world, it's like, um, there's this joke that a comedian said that he, he said, uh, a rule of thumb for men is don't say anything to a woman. You wouldn't want another man saying to you in prison. Which, yeah, like, smile, you know? (laughs) Like, why don't you laugh more? Like, what's your problem? Like, it's just like, there's a different reality going on. So if you can look at Secretary as this little fishbowl of a movie Mm -hmm. where a woman is being dominated and violated by her boss, her male authority figure, but it's all being done in a way that she's consented to and that she finds liberating. Um, I don't think that the movie's message is that he is the answer to her problems. I think what the movie says to me is that she is the answer to her problems and that he unlocks this thing in her because um, he's appealing to something he's appealing to a particular kind of lack of control that she feels in her life. And he's basically saying, I'm willing to take that control for you. I will make these decisions for you. And so where I feel in my life kind of hemmed in by decisions being made for me by white straight men, (laughs) um, what's kind of sexually satisfying would be if they were doing that for my pleasure as opposed to doing that because yeah, I was to keep you down, to keep me down. Yeah, yeah. you know, so that's a, there are people who can speak that's, about this so much better than I no, can. That's, but that's the best way that I can think to describe it. And why I totally get that men would not find the movie as sexy. It totally makes sense. Like it's you, not appealing to the same. I listen, you know, I very much enjoyed it. And I think it's really good. I'm just always like fascinated in why, uh, women lo- really seem really to, love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, really spoke to something that, yeah, that I guess I didn't know. Yeah, thank you for explaining it. <laughs> what is uh, now? I have a subcategory that's awkward. Oh, for some it, reason, this one's really scary to me. I mean, well, we'll do it only because I've tried to get rid of this question and people <laughs> get really mad if I don't do it. <laughs> subcategory: traveling bonus, worrying why dons. Sarah, <laughs> film you found arousing. That perhaps you thought you shouldn't. Yes. Great. <laughs> Thank you. We'll move I on. don't want to tell you about it, but I'm going to. I'm going to do it because I think it's a good question. Oh, thanks. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. It's not this whole movie because yes. this whole movie is extremely upsetting. Okay. But specifically, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in Happiness. Okay. <laughs> not the whole movie. So his character is the one... Obscene phone caller. Okay, yes. Who masturbates onto postcards and then puts them on his wall. Okay. And he is harassing 
Laura Flynn Boyle's character mm -hmm. in the film. And, and I that. just found him sexy. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was hot. I, I, it's, I, there are worse parts well, of that film you could have picked. I, even saying that is just disgusting, but it's true. It's, okay. And it was, it's a very bizarre movie. It's a very well-done movie. It's, it's, a, it's a great movie. Obviously, I am not sexually aroused by any other part of that movie, which is extremely upsetting. But that well, particular, <laughs> which is good news, that particular character, yeah. I find Philip Seymour Hoffman extremely attractive. Mm -hmm. For there was just something about it that I was like, I should not be finding this hot, and it is. So that's my answer. <laughs> I really, really am uh, impressed that you answered it honestly. So few people answer it honestly. <laughs> Most people go, oh, the little mermaid. Oh, come on. Uh, thank you for being honest. It's so creepy. Um, yes. What <sighs> What is the objectively the greatest film of all time? Might not be your favourite. Oh. Aliens come. They go. What is cinema? You go. Um, mm, it's this one. Yeah. What is it? The truth is Citizen Kane. Like it. It truly is. Yeah. It's just about everything. It's about America. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, Citizen Kane and The Godfather are basically the opposite sides of the coin. If you want yeah. to look at American cinema, cinema, um, one is the kind of white man comes from nothing, gets everything, hates it. Um, one is immigrant comes here for the American dream, gets everything, hates it. Um, so yeah. they're both, I would say those are the two films that. that are probably, yes, aliens have come, I would say. Um, but for me personally, yes, I would say rear window. Oh, yeah. I just no think it's a movie that. that's about, it's a perfect movie, but mm -hmm. it's also about everything that cinema's about without yeah. being objectively about cinema. Yes. If that makes sense. Like, I think those two movies are great because those are the best American films I yeah. think we've come up with as a culture. But I think Rear Window is the movie that, that is the best movie we've come up with about movie making. Because it's um, watching humans yeah. through screens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's about imp impotence. It's about voyeurism. It's about it's about framing. It's about uh, it's about that that feeling of like you know, am I putting these things together in the way that they're supposed to be? They're meant mm -hmm. to be, or am I just doing that because that's what my brain does? Like you know, I think that for me would be the film to be buried with on that one. I, I would die on the hill of that movie. Lovely answer. You know, but I do think I'm probably wrong. <laughs> no, it's a really good film, and no one has said it, and it's nice. Yeah, nice to hear it. Yeah, because I think you may have put down The Godfather and Citizen, or, you know, like, the, I feel like Yeah, those, a lot of people say The Godfather. Yeah, they just are. They are yeah. the best. Those are objectively the best, the greatest American films we've made. But I'd make a nice big case for Rear Window and have yeah. everyone dis disagree with me, is what I think would happen. I think, and then I think we'd all have a lovely time. <laughs> what is... Uh, okay, we're going to be negative very briefly. Yes, yeah. What's the worst film ever made? This is not the worst film ever made. Yeah. I, I I hate saying this because I love almost everyone that worked on this film. And making films is very, very hard and no one means... So means no one, hard. you know... Yeah. La La Land... Oh, wow. ...was so bad. Wow. I walked the fuck out. No way. I, I was like, I have to go. Like, I when, can't... At what point did you walk out? Whenever he was like, you need to see Rebel Without a Cause, I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go. I'm so sorry. I have to leave. I was like, I can't do... I love Paseo yeah. Paul, who did the music. I love Damien. I think he's an incredible director. Yeah. I thought it was directed 
within an inch of its life. Yeah. Like, I love Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. I think the guys that produced the film are amazing. Yeah. I fucking hated it. Why I did you hate it so much? I fucking hated it. Oh. <laughs> oh. It just, it made me so angry. I was just like, I cannot... I don't even I don't even know if I can list all the reasons that I hated it. I was just like I have to get out. I've never felt I I don't think I've ever felt that feeling of like I'm going to be physically sick if I stay here. Yeah. I have to get out of here. And you grew up with musicals as well. And know, I that's the thing. Yeah, I am yeah. the person that should have liked that movie. That mm. that was the other thing that like I think maybe would is the thing of why it may have connected with a larger audience but not with someone like myself that yeah. is like such a cinephile and such a musical nerd and all those things. It just did not fulfill that at all for me. And I feel bad because I love everybody. That, yeah. I mean, I'm legitimately like all the parts should have worked. Like it all should have worked. Can I ask you this? And I'm not taking And away. I love Damien's new movie. I love First oh, Man. So, good. so fucking good. Like I, I just, I hated it. Did you see it? And not to take away from any of your feelings here, oh, but I'm curious, did you yeah. see it? mid hype or did you see it before everyone was going this is the greatest thing ever like did you no, go in I with any it. expectations of I like- did go in with expectations because I had been hearing it was so good right. you know everyone was like Emma Stone's gonna win an Oscar mm-hmm. it's the best movie of the year so it was it was early on do you think some of your out, anger but- comes from going this is the best fucking thing of the year or purely just this film was not for you I have a film that I think I don't is know fine. But now I hate because everyone loves it. <laughs> no, I don't think it was that everyone loved it. I do think the hype didn't help it, though. Right, okay. I, th- I think the hype of me kind of going, you're telling me everybody likes this? Like, mm. I think the hype is probably what made me leave. Okay. That's probably the thing that pushed me over the edge <laughs> of like, really? This is what everybody likes? Then I have to go. I- I've lost my mind. I have to if leave this the planet. Is- I have to leave the planet and just die, you know, <laughs> like, because this is insane. But like... So that's probably what pushed me because I never walk out of a movie yeah. ever, and and that I was like, I've walked out of that, and I walked out of Inception. Those are the two movies I walked out you of. Walked out of Inception. Fuck Inception. <laughs> Fuck that movie. That's not a bad movie though. That's yeah, a very yeah. well done movie. It's just yeah. it's just a fool's errand. It's like what the fuck is this nonsense? Like no, I gotta go. The hype is probably what made me like put yeah. my foot down and be like I'm leaving. Okay. You know, but well, okay, what? <laughs> I mean, it's very surprising answers. What really? Is, yeah. <laughs> what is um, the film that you could or have watched the most over and over again? What is it, Mary Poppins? Uh, no, it's definitely The Shining. I, I've just seen that uh, movie more times than I think any human ever. Great fucking film. Yeah. I just have seen every frame of it. I actually just read the book for the first time this year. Oh, I, really? I'd never read the book and I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> It's not I as good, it's, is it? It's not as good. The, mo- the movie is astounding. I yeah. mean, it's astounding. It's just, it's it's not a perfect movie. It's not like, there's nothing, no. there's, there. It, it's certainly not, um, it, to me, it feels like what he set out to do. It is exactly what he set out to do, yeah. which was create a, a mind maze. You know, like, it's, it's a horror film that gets scarier the more times you watch it. The scares are based not on jump scares, where mm-hmm. on repeated viewings, you would know where they were coming from. It's like, the scares are based on essentially not knowing where you are in the story. Like in the way that you're not, you don't know where you are in the hotel. You don't know where you are in time. Like even just the way that like, it'll come up and be like Tuesday. And you're like, Tuesday when? Like 
when? Like, it starts out as, like, a month later or, like, two weeks later, and then it's, yeah. like, Tuesday, and then it's, like, 9 a.m., and you're, like, time doesn't exist anymore. It just doesn't exist anymore. It's what they did for – it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I yes, 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 From The Shining. Yes, yes, yes. But I, I, I watched there – there was a period of time where I watched that movie, I, I, I mean, every day. Like for a year or something like that. Like wow. it was just crazy. And what it's it, what's crazy is that even now, having seen it as many times as I've seen it, if we put it on right now, I wouldn't be able to t- really tell you what part was coming next. I'd be oh, like, wow. I think this is the part where he discovers room thirty, you know, two thirty seven. Yeah. But it might also be the time when he runs into the Grady twins. I don't. I don't know. Like there's right. a there's a repetition to the movie and a, and an abstractness to the movie that like makes it just for me the perfect movie to rewatch forever Fantastic. um but i'm sorry is that an that's an often movie probably that you get no oh really no, oh, no that's yeah. not come up a lot what is the uh funniest or the film that makes you laugh the most oh it might be different no i there it's both it's uh the big lebowski oh really i mean i just saw it again in the theater and i was laughing so hard i i think it's the last great scripted comedy of american cinema really i think that's it i think after that we got into this like improvised oh, I land. See what you mean. Okay, do you know yes, what I mean? Like yeah. where it became like, who can do the funniest joke? And, and that is a film that I consistently laugh at every single time I watch it. And I, at the time, like in 1998, we were all like, Oh, it must be improv. Cause it's so, it sounds so natural. Yeah. But when you watch it now, like 20 years later, you're like, it is so clear how tightly scripted this is and how tightly, um, directed and choreographed it is. Yeah. The amount of the movie that's done in, three shots or two shots as opposed to coverage is yeah. insane. Like you would never be able, like now you realize like looking at what comedy has become, you realize how much that movie could not have been infer- improvised. Like it's yeah. just impossible. Like, like now in order to make a comedy, you have to set up like three cameras so that you can capture all the funny things that people are saying all the time and like, <laughs> like yeah. throwing out all the stuff and like so on and so forth. But the art of writing a comedy mm-hmm. of like r- from beginning to end, you know, like is gone. I think he said, I, I saw Jeff Bridges says like all his ums and ahs are, yeah. are in the script they, written down. Yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, sometimes I was like, uh, you guys are bullshit. You know what I mean? Like I was like, fuck you guys. You're just saying that to like get on yeah. the Coen brothers good side. But I watched like a, after I saw it in the theater in New York uh, at a second run um, at the IFC center, after I saw it again, I like went back and went into a little hole about it and it was awesome i was like yeah like like it it was all these like interviews with jeff and 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 john goodman and and um steve buscemi and all of them being like yeah all of that is completely scripted like we all the fucks are scripted all the things are scripted and that people come up to them all the time and quote the film to them and it's a it's totally a movie that after you know like it kind of went through it's like big popularity i think people kind of got a little worn out by it but watching it again recently i was like this is truly one of the funniest movies i've ever seen and and i just can't believe that it was still making me laugh so hard even though i knew every beat of it i'd seen it so many times but i was still laughing so hard yeah i imagine that doesn't date that film it's quite it doesn't weirdly it? it doesn't i mean there are a couple um outdated terms right do you know what I mean? Like that are, uh, you know, I don't think they're offensive, but like, I don't think they would necessarily use them now. Um, but they also kind of cover it with their Chinaman joke right. of like, you know, that's not the proper nomenclature. Like they kind of have already covered that. They know yeah. like, we're not really going to be saying everything correctly here. Um, and that's their word, not mine. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I think we're at the new questions. Are we? I haven't oh yes. Any, I think so. Yeah. 
So, the new questions, exclusive questions. What is the best? Oh no, what is the film? Here we go. <laughs> what is the first film that changed your perspective on something? Yes. So, there are a lot of really good answers to this question. Good. I'm going to answer it very personally because there I are like. many documentaries that I've seen, like 13th, mm. The People versus O.J. Simpson. Like, uh, there are so many. Um, Oh my God, deliver us from evil. Like there's uh, how to survive a plague. Like a lot of documentaries have like blown my mm-hmm. fucking mind open, but there's one scene in Miss Congeniality. <laughs> so good. Such a good answer. There's one scene in yeah. Miss Congeniality and it's when Miss New York doesn't make the final, the finalists. And when her name isn't called, she runs up and she goes, I just want all those lesbians to know out there. <laughs> That if I can make it to the top 10, so can you. <laughs> Tina, I love you. And they're like grabbing her and trying to pull her off the stage. And she's just like, Tina, I love you. And then this girl stands up in the audience and she's like holding a heart that says, I love New York. And she goes, I love you, Karen. <laughs> and I was like, it changed my life. <laughs> I was just like, I'd never seen lesbians before. Yeah. Like I really had never, I think people don't, when they think of res- representation, they're kind of like, well, yeah, we made these movies about gay people dying and we made it yeah. about, like gay people <laughs> yeah. being tied to trees and murdered. And we yeah. made it about like, you know, like, yeah, blah, blah. but what you forget is that like, w- sometimes it's, it's a comedy or, or yeah. a romantic comedy or, you know, something like that, that is a, a, a kid's or teenagers' first experience with seeing representation. Yeah. And that film, and also Kevin Klein kissing a man in In-N-Out, but those were, that, that film was like, I, I literally never seen a lesbian on screen before. I wasn't allowed to watch TV, so I didn't know about Ellen, right. which was my wife's experience of like seeing this person and being like, oh my God, that's me. You know, but when, I, when she came out and said, yeah. When she said, like, I just want all the, literally it never been mentioned. Didn't, no one knew she was a lesbian. She, nothing in the film had, like, prepared us for this moment. And she came up and she was like, <laughs> and she was like, I just want all those lesbians out there to know. And I was like, <gasps> I was so, I was like, I don't know. I just had these, like, tingly feelings of, like, this so makes me so I happy. Can I ask a, a very personal question? So did, yeah. did you think you were gay before this moment or you didn't know you didn't know it was an an option i didn't know it was an option and then you saw this and you were like oh only time i'd ever heard about gay people was in church and about how bad it was that was really all and i thought oh yeah that's not me like you know like i'm not gonna go to hell so yeah cool we're good we're good we're totally good it doesn't matter that i'm watching like batman returns on repeat like (laughs) do you know what i mean like getting fucking into it you know like doing a very deep dive into michelle pfeiffer but like You know, it just didn't occur to me. But when I saw that, and I was, you know, it's a, it's, it's a movie that I think was like 2003 or something. Mm. It was very like, you know, like, you know, I must have seen them probably like in, you know, like Boys Don't Cry. Like, I think I'd yeah, seen Boys Don't Cry. Depressing. Like, I'd seen, like, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, better not be gay, you know, because yeah. like, you know, I'm definitely not going to get shot and gang raped by people. So like, you know, like it wasn't, mm. it wasn't until I saw, I think it was 2003, like I was in college watching the film and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> like, cute. like, oh, there's like happy lesbians that are out there, like just yeah. living their lives. And like, there isn't like a big problem, Yeah, you know? And it's funny because they're like dragging her off the stage and they're like, oh my God, don't cut this, yeah. cut you know, like, and they play it for laughs, but like, it, it definitely was like, oh, oh, like, I mean, and I was like, you know, in my mid 20, like, you know, 22, wow. 23, but I had been raised so religiously yeah. and, you know, it was just a different time, you know, like in the mid nineties, like, you know, the LBGT 
um, like, you know, club at my school was, like, considered lame. Do you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, like, it was like, oh, those fucking, you know, like, even with, like, cool, chill friends, like, it was still, like, you know, weird. And, like, I'd had this weird thing with a friend of mine in high school and, like, where, you know, it it just, to me, it felt like something that was not, it wasn't, and I've, I've always said this, too, it's like, I didn't really understand I didn't really understand what was going on with me for the longest time because it just wasn't an option. Wow. Like it just wasn't an option. Like it was just like, I don't want to get murdered and I don't want to go to hell. So like, why would I even entertain this as a, even though I'm hooking up with women, even though I'm making out with women, it's like, I'm just not thinking of myself as gay. Like, I'm just like, Oh, that's just a thing that I'm doing. You know, like it's, yeah, it's just this thing that I'm doing, you know, like it's not, but when I saw that scene, I was like, Oh, I guess you could just be a lesbian in the world. Like, and you would be a person and, and you, uh, people would treat you like a person. And then whenever you felt like talking about it, you would. (laughs) It's like, so so great. That's, that's like my, I mean, of course there's so much cooler versions of that. But that's so good. I wish (laughs) wish they knew the makers of that film. Yeah. I'm telling you guys now. That you you know, changed your life. It did. It really did. That's fantastic. It was anyway. Yeah. So your wife, I'm just, I'm just fascinated by it. It's so great. It's such a lovely story. Uh, thank you, Miss Congeniality. <laughs> thank you, Miss Congeniality. Um, oh, is this why, may I ask, this is maybe too personal, is this why you are not religious? I'm assuming you're not religious Oh, anymore. no, I'm not religious, no. I, I, Did it change I, after Miss Congeniality? Yeah, uh, no, I think... Were you like, I'm gay and I don't, I no, don't and no, there no, is no, no hell. I started, um, when I got to college, I basically, everything went out the window because I developed like a pretty intense um, substance abuse and alcohol problem. And so everything kind of, I went from being like this kind of good girl and like having done everything that my parents wanted me to and getting into NYU and like kind of being the, you know, um, uh, the big sister, the eldest who like got everything done. It's like, as soon as I got to NYU and started being able to use and drink the way that I wanted to, it's like that whole experience, like it haunted me a little bit. And I definitely like a lot of it stuck with me for a long time in the sense that like, you know, I would sleep with women or hook up with women, but not date them, like not go, not go out on dates with them or, um, or they would be straight women who are like, I'm not interested. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, and fucking, you'd be like, no, me neither. Like, I know, me neither. I mean, it's all super cool. I mean, I mean, it's really super chill. Yeah. Um, but that was where I kind of left that stuff. I would say is like in my twenties, I kind of was like, so you just running through this. the streets uh, of them while you going, fuck radio days, fuck radio days, <laughs> fuck Woody Allen, fuck you. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I really, we had a rough patch there with my parents. I, I'm yeah. I'm on better terms with them now, but they are still very religious. Like, I, yeah. I come from, you know, a family that's pretty, you know, church-going and, and would identify as Christian. And, you know, like, when I go home, they're like, and let us pray, you know, like, right wow. before dinner and stuff. And I'm always like, they okay with I'm your... just going to sit here. <laughs> are they okay with it? Um, yes, I think they're okay with it after a long time okay <laughs> they all came to my wedding which was very that's, that's which is good yeah um but i think i would have been fine even if they didn't right. i mean i just i i've worked very hard there's this beautiful um thing in the bird cage where uh love that film. i love that film too that was also a film gay characters kind of yeah. for, you know kind of like and also a film that my parents watched and kind of like were okay with you know what i mean i was yeah. like oh maybe they are okay with gay people but um but there's that great line where, you know, um, I mean, he ends up going back on it, but like where Robin Williams tells his son, like, I've worked so hard to get here. 
Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I can't go back. And yeah. that's totally, I'm so happy to say, like, as a queer person, like, that I've gotten to that point. Like, I've yeah. worked so hard to, yeah. to make peace with who I am and, and um, not even make peace, but just be comfortable in my own skin. That, like, the idea of letting anyone make me feel uncomfortable, including parents or, you know, yeah. family members that I love, is just, like, not acceptable. <laughs> like, it's right. just, like, that's not going to happen. I don't, yeah. I don't, I care about little Leslie, like, little Little, Ru- little, Russian little, little Russian doll Leslie. I care about her more than your fucking, your fucking assholes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yes, yes, yes. What, uh, that's such a good answer. Thank you. Oh, good, good. What is the best opening sequence in the film? Or opening scene or opening line? Um, this is honestly what came up for me. I don't, I don't know if it's the thing, but when I read it is um, Punch Drunk Love. Oh. It's a wild opening sequence, which it's, is like. shopping. No, it's him in the, the corner of a large room. And it's yeah. just, the, the reason I say this is because the scene is so kind of like, I don't know if it's all in one shot. I don't think it is, but like, it kind of feels that way. Yeah. But it begins with um, Adam Sandler's character. I'm, I'm, apologies, I can't remember his name at, off, at, at the moment, but he, it's this wide shot and he's way in the corner of a room um, and he's on the phone talking about the pudding. Thing. He's like yeah. he's like with a yes. telemarketer with an operator, and he's like, "Do you understand that? Like, you know, you could make more money, et cetera, et cetera." And she's like, "Oh, I, I guess so." You know, and he's like, "Okay, bye." You know, and he hangs up, and then he um, leaves that room. He opens up um, this large kind of you know opening to his like auto repair shop thing, yeah. and it's dusk. It's like the most beautiful time to shoot. It's it's absolutely gorgeous, and you follow him outside. And you get to the street and he's looking, you're kind of in his POV, you're looking down the street and there's a massive car accident happens. Mm. Like this very insane car accident. He witnesses like this very, very violent car accident. And then another car, a, a van, pulls up in front of him and drops off that little piano. The little like, I think it's called a harmonium. I don't remember. Yeah. But he, it drops off this little piano and then it leaves, and then he just kind of, I believe he picks up the piano and puts it in there, or maybe he leaves it there, I can't remember. But I thought it's such a cool opening sequence, because if every movie should tell you what it's about in its first one to five minutes, to me, that tells the story of love. You know? (laughs) Is that you're completely alone, you know, you're kind of like trying to figure out how to make yourself happy. You leave that space, you know, you go into the new dawn, right? Yeah. And then there's a violent car crash that ends in an yeah. instrument you don't know how to play. You know, it's so beautiful. But it took me forever to understand why that happened at yeah. the beginning of the movie, because I love that movie. And I, I didn't, I just like... I would truthfully the first time I saw it I completely forgot it happened. Yeah. And then I watched it again and I was like, "Oh right. Uh this is how the movie starts." And then completely forgot it about again. Then when I watched it again I was like, "I see. It's a it's an allegory for the whole movie for falling in love." Yes. You know, like it's 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 so and it could only come from someone like PTA. Like it it could only come yeah. from like the mind of someone that is like a complete bonkers genius, you know, like where you're it's a little quirky and it's an unusual choice for this because there are so many incredible openings no, to films. That's brilliant. But... And I, I, you, I, you've eliminated <laughs> something I did not. 
That's fucking brilliant. It's really great. Isn't yeah, yeah, he a genius? Yeah, yeah. You're oh, just like, he's... oh my God. Like that. But again, it's uh, it's so out there that yeah. you really forget about it. You're like, I I've forgot. Like it, yeah. your brain just kind of goes like, I don't, I can't compute what that was. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But he's told you like at the beginning, he's like, this is the, this, this is, is the love. beginning. You know, this is love. This is what this whole story is going to be about. Yeah. You know? Fucking great answer. Wow. Yeah. What what is the best ending, best closing sequence to a film? Uh this is a repeat, sorry. That's all right. It's the shining. Okay. Yeah. It's just the final shot into uh the the dissolves into the photo the where Jack Nicholson is and then the you know, July fourth, whatever it is, two thousand you know, like nineteen oh five or whatever yeah. it is. I just think it's like uh, I mean what does it it's mean to kind you? of boring but uh, well that's the other thing that i love about it and it and not to bring it too full circle but very much like russian doll yeah. is that i think it could mean so many different things like it's funny like when i used to tell people you know i love the shining it's my favorite movie but what does the ending mean like what does that mean that he's in that photo and i was like it doesn't matter like yeah. it doesn't it's it's not it's not a logical thing it's an emotional thing that at the end it it, it makes you want to rethink everything that came before but not in a way that you're questioning it like you know yeah, all those yeah. things happened but but you start to think like i don't to me i would say if i had to make a choice right now like if i were if i were writing my thesis on yes. this i would say to me i've always read that moment that the uh not that he existed in 1905 or sorry, someone's some nerd's gonna call me on the. On the I thought you said you saw it a million times. You know, like, don't remember. It's like 1907 or something like that. But um, to me, mm-hmm. when I saw it, I don't know if this is what I thought the first time, but when I saw it, I thought the hotel has absorbed him. Mm. The hotel has claimed him, and that's why he's there. He's not like when he was stalking the halls and stuff. He would not have been in that photo, right? You know. But to me, in the film, the hotel is made to be the main character basically of, yeah. of the, of the, of the film. And so as a ghost story, that's, that's the ghost is the hotel and the hotel has, has absorbed or claimed him at the end of it. But yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Now I'm thinking about the shining again. Yeah. I, I mean, I literally, I can't think of a better analogy for like everything that's ever happened in life than the, <laughs> the shining. Um, well, that's another film. I think, my, yes. my hot take on I don't think it's hot take I think it's whatever is it's that's another film that's about America yes China. yes 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 yeah that's a big a, one yeah built on a Native American burial ground right the exactly hotel. yeah 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 and he is and there's all that reoccurring image and like you and know. he is the white man who is taking and becoming I guess arrogant and horrible and starts yeah like he's sort of uh, claiming that for his own, like I'm yeah. the caretaker here. I've always been the caretaker. You know, it's like no, no and one it, can care. No one can take over the overlook. Like no one, no one has ever yeah. had the overlook. You and know? he's eventually defeated by by that weather. Yeah. By as by in, weather. Oh my yeah, god! But because he can't, he's not oh, a, a natural. God. He can't survive without the stuff that men came in. Like, oh, we make buildings and heat and stuff but if that fails if electricity fails or whatever oh that he can't be a, a a native american who survived on the earth that's good he dies in the on the earth because he can't survive the weather yeah that's my I only just thought of that now that's good yeah yeah <laughs> great 
No, that's really good. Yeah. I also think that I, I just was thinking when you were saying that, that yeah. like, it's also so, I mean, I know I said this before about Russian doll, but it's like, if you, you could think of like that, because you were talking about the weather and freezing yeah. to death. And so I was thinking of the end maze when he's chasing Danny yeah, yeah. and how he's trying to kill his inner child like that he's like he's so lost his mind and he's so given over to like ego or arrogance or whatever it is that he's like i'm now going to kill my tiny doll like i'm now going to you know murder oh my god anyway we could go on and on um Oh God, I have to go. Oh yeah, right. So right. sorry. No, listen, you've uh, you've given me <laughs> nearly two hours, and that's incredible. So, uh, what's your favorite film? Oh, Shining. I guess it is. Yeah. Okay. Damn no. it! I don't like choosing one, but I then it came up so often. Yeah. I feel like I have to. Now you've been an excellent guest, truly tremendous. <laughs> I, I've loved everything you've said. It's been fascinating. Here's the thing. When you died in your wife's arms, both of yes. you, 97 years old, died of old age, an imaginary thing, a disease called old age, where <laughs> there's no, no pain or anything. The problem was, because of it's the year, uh, wherever, it was many, many years in the future, Yeah. Uh, you had a soundproof uh, house bedroom. Okay. So no one knew you were dead oh, for no. a very long time. Oh, no. No one could hear anything. No one could, you seemed fine. You had a screen outside the window where it was just you living your life, but it turned out it was a video of people watching on a loop. So it was a good, a good while before we found you. When we found you, you two had become fused together. <laughs> and uh, so we had to peel you off the bed as, yeah. a, as a couple. I mean, it's romantic. Yeah, but you very were romantic, though. Much bigger than we expected because now you're the size of two people. And so we, we stuff you in this coffin that was really only meant for you. Yeah. And it meant that there's no room in this coffin except <laughs> we can only fit in one DVD in the, sl- in the side. You take that to the other side, and on the other side, there's movie night every night, and one night it's your movie night. What film are you taking to show? Oh, one night in heaven? Yeah, what's your film to be buried with? <gasps> you, you're going to show everyone on movie night. I feel like I'm going to say The Apartment because it is my fourth favorite movie. <laughs> and I feel like the other three that we've discussed, other people will bring. Yeah, I think you're right. Do you oh, know what I, mean? I think someone brought The Apartment. <laughs> I don't think anyone's brought The Shining. <laughs> but truly, I mean, I feel like if I'm going to watch something in the afterlife, yeah. I would want it to be really positive. Yeah, The Shining's. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I think that the, the Apartment is a movie that. that the Shining, I just, that's just the truthful, that's the movie I've seen the most times. Yeah. I just don't know if I would want to see it forever. And I think Back to the Future and It's a Wonderful Life are kind of the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> that they're not. But like, you know, I think that they're, I just love how they're constructed yeah. and I love their protagonists. But I think I would actually like enjoy sitting with my wife and watching The Apartment. I, I think it. she'd like it too. You and your wife fused together anyway. Fused together. <laughs> She's going to love yeah. this, by the way. She always says that. She's like, we're going to die at the same time and turn into a tree. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> it's just a tree in a cinema in heaven. So, you've been truly excellent. I'm very Thank very you so much for, for having time. me. Is there anything you would like to tell people to look out for? Do anything other than Russian Doll, no, which you just, should all watch? No, just the, just the Russian Doll. If, if you you've got to the end it. of this, watch Russian Doll and then listen to the first half hour again. <laughs> Uh, if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Thank you. What a pleasure. Oh, gosh. You're so welcome. It was uh, so fun. Have a lovely time on the other side with the apartment. <laughs> I will. And your wife as a tree. As a tree. Uh, good day to you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> that was episode 34 with Leslie Headland. 
Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, support the show and get guest list tickets and recommendations and loads of extra stuff. If you do enjoy this show, please subscribe and give it five stars and a nice review for the simple reason that it helps our numbers, means more people get to hear it, I can keep making it, you can keep listening to it, we can keep doing it, etc, etc, until we all die or the internet explodes. Thank you so much to Leslie for doing it. Thank you to Melissa for hooking us up together. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. To Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. And thank you all for listening. Now, next week's homework is to watch all of the many, 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 many seasons of Scrubs and Spin City. As my guest next week is the creator of both of those shows, it's Mr. Bill Lawrence. It's another phenomenal episode and you do not want to miss it. So, thank you very much for listening. Have a lovely week and please be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.